Many of you know my interest in the military and in history, which are the required ingredients for a great war movie or TV series. Some of you are not so interested in this kind of stuff, which is totally cool. Um, however, if you give me a couple minutes here this morning, I think it will help us better understand the passage that we'll be covering. What we just saw was the final scene from the 2001 10-part series called Band of Brothers that was produced and put on by HBO. It tells the story of Easy Company. Uh, by the way, a company is a military unit of about 200 people who are part of the 101st Airborne, which means that they sometimes jump out of airplanes behind enemy lines when fighting in a war. And it recounts many of their momentous contributions to the Allied victory in World War II. Additionally, and maybe most importantly, the series tells the stories of some amazing and ordinary people and what it was like for them to serve together on the front lines of this global war. What you saw and heard just now were some of the men who fought in Easy Company telling a little bit about their story 55 years later when this was recorded. There are two things from this clip that I want to highlight. The first is this. It's what Carwood Lipton said when he quoted a line from Shakespeare's Henry V, where they got the title of the show. Right before Henry V's big battle at the Battle of Agincourt in 1415, Henry V says this to his army. He says, From this day to the ending of the world, we in it shall be remembered. We lucky few, we band of brothers. For he who today sheds his blood with me shall be my brother. Now what do we see here? Lipton was one of the most courageous of the men in Easy Company, and having served there now, 55 years later, reflecting on that experience as they're making this, this series and this show and they're interviewing these men to find out what happened, what do we learn about this quote that he shares with us? Well, several things. One, the importance of being remembered. Two, an unbreakable bond. And another thing is that suffering together with somebody in a great cause can establish a bond that can last a lifetime. Well, he's right. Here we are. Did you know this year is the 75th year anniversary of the storming of Normandy and of when these events took place? In June, we're going to be celebrating that. Again, most of these men have passed on now. They're dead and gone. And yet we remember them. We talk about them, even here this morning. And yet Easy Company has nothing on the early church of Rome. Because we'll be talking about them today here in a little bit, and it has been almost 2,000 years since they lived and battled each day for the kingdom of God. The words of Henry V are even more applicable regarding the believers in the church of Rome far as being remembered and the bond that was wrought between them. The second and final scene that I want us to focus on before we jump in is when Richard Winters, who's probably the most heroic man of Easy Company, says the following when asked by uh, his grandson, he repeats a quote from another, uh, another veteran. And when he answers, he's visibly touched by the question and caught up with the emotion and the memories of everything that happened and what he's about to say. 
When asked the question, Are you a, were you a hero in the war, Grandpa? His answer is, no, but I served in a company of heroes. This is how he truly felt. He was a humble and valiant man, and from what I can tell from my research, a Christian himself. When given a chance to talk about his accomplishments in the war, even to his grandson or to people who want him to be a hero, who he could very easily and freely let them know that he was a hero, he still defers the praise to those, rather, he served with. Well, we have a hero in the book of Romans. His name is Paul. And much like Richard Winters, if asked the same question, would probably give a similar answer. One big difference would be this. First and foremost, he would say the hero is Jesus Christ. He's the ultimate hero of this story. Secondly, though, if pressed further, I'm sure he would say the same. He, too, would defer the praise and, as we will see this morning, share how he, too, served in a company of heroes. And so this morning, as we continue through our final series in Romans called The Continuing Mission and begin the final chapter of the book of Romans, Romans 16, hopefully this clip and these statements will help set up our passage, which at first glance might not be all that exciting or engaging. Now, if you're new to Rooftop this morning, welcome. We are so glad that you are here, as Matt mentioned in the introduction. We're finishing up a long study on the book of Romans, which is a lengthy letter that was written by the early church leader, Paul, to the church in the city of Rome, hence the name Romans. Also, if you here this morning, you are not a follower of Jesus, you're searching or you're investigating, checking out, or whatever uh, reason brought you here, we're, no worries, we're so glad that you're here. Uh, this is the valediction or the closing thoughts of this lengthy letter where Paul is speaking to other believers who are laboring with him and sharing the message that God has for them to share, just to give you some context of what it is you're, you're listening to and understanding this morning. So let's jump into our message this morning called A Company of Heroes. And as we begin to read our passage, um, we'll be reading a lot of names, many of which are hard to read and pronounce. I've highlighted the names in yellow so that you can just differentiate. It helps kind of give some context of the passage. So Romans 16, verses 1 through 16. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sancre, that you may welcome her in the way, excuse me, in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints, and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risk their nets necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks. But all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Gentile simply means non-Jewish church. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Apenetus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stechus. Greet Apellus, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. 
Greet my kinsman, Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for hanging in there with me and following along. Jacob said that he was going to be checking my pronunciations because Jacob's smart and thinks he knows better. And so I hope I passed. As we discuss this unique passage this morning, and this passage is unique, by the way. You do not find another passage like this in the entirety of the Bible. I want you to keep this idea of a company of heroes in mind because I think it'll help. Because Paul wrote these names down. These are ordinary people who've been named now millions and millions of times. Think about that. Ordinary, everyday people like you and me in Rome, because they are included in Romans in chapter 16, have been read millions and millions, maybe even billions of times as Romans 16 has been read. And here we are talking about them still today. I just think that is so incredible. Really, so incredible. I want to discuss three of the characteristics of Paul's if, shout out, if you will, to the folks in the church in Rome and what made them so special. The first thing is fairly obvious. It's the names. Why all the names? And even more importantly, what's in a name? Well, we can learn a lot about Paul and about the early church through this list of names and Paul's mention of them and also his brief description about each of the names as he gives them. Your name, my name, a person's name is of the utmost importance to each of us. In fact, the famous leadership expert Dale Carnegie states that the sweetest sound in any language that a person can hear is the sound of their own name. That's Dale tip number six, by the way, in case you were wondering. There's 30 tips. Our names are so important, so sacred, that when this life is over and the life ever after, when heaven begins, whenever that is, whatever exactly that is going to be, Jesus is going to give each of us who is saved our own new name that only he and us know. It says so in Revelation chapter 2, verse 17. Think about that. A special name that you and the Lord of the universe only know because you mean that much to him and the name by which you and I are called is of such great value. When the pastors here at Rooftop meet people, we work really hard to try to remember your names. Sometimes, if not most of the times, I think we do pretty well. Sometimes we might forget, unfortunately, and I ask for your forgiveness for past offenses, present, and future. Sadly, I'm remembering less and less with each new year that comes and goes. In fact, even when I was younger, I, the church before this one was a large church in Grand Rapids, my first church I worked at, with 2,500 people. Now, that's a lot of names to remember. And I worked hard, but I remembered names kind of like on a Rolodex, and I'd be walking down the hall, 
and I'd be walking down, and someone would say, hey, there, Jeremy, and I would say, hello, and as we're walking towards each other, there'd be a pause, and the Rolodex would be turning, and as we turned past each other, I'd go, James, nice to see you this morning, because it took a couple extra seconds to land on whose name it was. Well, this is a big deal. In fact, our humble pastor, Matt, works really hard at remembering your name, so much so that he will write your name on his hand, here, here. That's not Matt's hand, by the way. Somebody else's hand. I meant to take his picture. I wanted to. I forgot. Um, But he will write your name on his hand in order to remember the humility, the fervency of that. I think he also writes Michelle's grocery list on the hand as well. Um, So if he accidentally calls you kale or cupcake, I don't think he's forgotten your name. He's just thinking about dinner that evening. I worked on that one for a while. Come on. (laughs) Matt's telling me I need to give that more effort, and I did thank you. Uh, First service responded much more naturally to that. When I was 19 and in the Marines, I was stationed in Hawaii. And yes, that is what I looked at every morning when I got up, Kaneohe Bay on Oahu. I attended a church off base that was pastored by a man named Brad Barshaw. Brad was a really good speaker, he was a really good pastor, I enjoyed him, uh, and he would regularly include the names of people from the church congregation in his messages. I thought this was cool. After a couple of months of attending, and we'd bring a handful of Marines from the base out, and I guess when a bunch of Marines show up, people know you're there. Uh, I didn't know Brad very well at all, but he mentioned me one time in a, in a message, and it was wonderful, it was really cool. Now there was some there was a, an aspect of, I really like the notoriety and the praise I'm getting, which is a separate issue um, that, you know, we all struggle with at some level. But just hearing your name mentioned was a really special thing to do there on Sunday morning amongst the church community. And so I get it when I think about these people's names being mentioned. Everyone loves to hear their name which is a good reminder to all of us who serve in the kingdom, whether we're pastors or volunteer leaders or we're just serving on a service team with other people that we encounter. Remembering their name, calling people by name is a blessing to them. And it builds up the community in the church when we do it. Use people's names. Mention people's names positively and affirmingly whenever possible. Paul does this, and I'm sure it was an amazing blessing for those in Rome whom he mentioned. They would read these letters during the church service. People would come and they would read the letters. And can you imagine just the ordinary church folk in Rome as they got to the end of this really long service and they're reading chapter 16 and maybe some of them are getting a little tired at the end. And all of a sudden, Petrobas. Petrobas, what? Me? I mentioned? Really? Wow, Paul thought of me? And millions and millions and millions of mentions later, That was a really big deal. It shows how much Paul loved and cared for the church in Rome that he mentions the people by name and by extension how much God loves the church through Paul in him mentioning them. We sung about that this morning, how much God loves us and that's seen in how God references through Paul the names of all these people in Rome. What's in a name? It's a powerful question with very important answers. The second thing I want to highlight is the Christ-centered friendships that we see. 
is they are mentioned by Paul, his numerous and various relationships and connections to these people are saturated by Jesus Christ. My fellow workers in Christ Jesus, my first convert to Christ, my beloved in the Lord, my fellow worker in Christ, who is approved in Christ, chosen in the Lord, just to name some of them. Now, I was chastened this week when I read these names and this passage over and over and over, practicing what I was going to have to do in front of you several minutes ago today. We're in the casual part of the letter. The theology's over with, right? The, the, the deep stuff's done. We're just in that final stage. You know, this is where Paul should be able to kick back, take his sandals off, put his feet up, air him out, and just say, hey, boom, 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 and I'm out, you know? This is where Paul or you and I might normally talk about the Blues' recent winning streak. And wow, can you believe, after being cellar dwellers for so long this season, now making a run, right? Or we're talking about what's happening down in Jupiter, Florida at spring training, where, by the way, our own Rob Raines is killing it with lsteelsportspage.com. I mean, that's what we'd talk about, right? Those would be the things that we would mention. But Paul... Even here, he keeps the focus on Jesus Christ and on the cross. You see, Paul's life is immersed in this calling that God has laid upon him. We might call him crazy. We might say, whoa, dude, you're too much. You're too intense. I'm going to be over here. because This whole God thing, you're taking it just a step too far. Too, too much for my taste. You know, I'll, I'll just keep things on a, on a medium level. But what else could Paul do? He says time and again in the New Testament, I have forfeited everything for the sake of the gospel and for Jesus. Everything. And I'm really inspired by Paul and his practical faith. Even as how he greets people and views his relationships with them. I've had to take a moment this week to reflect on my own relationships. My marriage with Julie. And how does that have a spiritual component to it. And I do for, for years, heard long ago, really good marriage counsel that first and foremost, she's my sister in Christ. And so I reference that to her periodically. Remind her, we're a brother, sister. When this marriage relationship ends at death, which happens at death according to the, the Bible, our brother-sister relationship will endure into eternity. But what about my children? I'm dad. I'm papa. I'm in charge. I got a responsibility. I got to raise them up the right way. But actually, I'm going to be their brother in Christ. What does that mean? What does it mean that I'm a brother in Christ to my children, first and foremost? How I treat them, how I invest in them, how I regard them when things get difficult, as they get older, is my job done? Is it no, it changes. What about my friendships with people? Do I just get together and want to talk about this or that and some ancillary thing? Or even in my friendships, am I finding a way to remind us that Christ is the bond upon which our relationship exists and thrives? In as much as we may have in common some sports affiliation or some shared past experience. Paul does a great job. Just like Matt took an inventory of his own prayerfulness last week and encouraged us to do the same, I'm challenging and encouraging us to look at our friendships, our relationships, and how are they truly centered and saturated by Jesus Christ. 
By the way, your lead pastor who preached that message raised the prayer temperature here at Rooftop this past week, and it was really cool. Numerous times where we just would just have moved on, Matt stopped and said, let's pray, or remind us, whoa, go back and pray. No, no, seriously, let's pray. And it was great. It added a vibrancy and a, a discernment and a, just a, a, a vitality to our week and what we do here week after week in quote-unquote God's kingdom. I was really thankful for that. How are our friendships doing? Are they saturated in Christ like Paul's are? If not saturated, are they at least seasoned in Christ, maybe? What does that even look like? What can we do to bring Jesus Christ more to the center of our friendships and our relationships with each other? There's a lot of things that we could talk about and share, but I think that's an important question for us to ask and to consider here this morning. It's so easy for us to forget the centrality of Jesus Christ in our day-to-day lives. It happens to me regularly. We quickly forget the amazing news that God came to earth and became a man named Jesus and lived a life 33 years long on this crummy planet. He lived a perfect and sinless life, which for us to even imagine, let alone copy, is near impossible, if not impossible. He also took on the religious power brokers who were manipulating God, who were using God to their own, for their own purposes. And it cost him his life. He was crucified by these same power brokers, but not without purpose. He knew and planned for this because in the midst of being crucified, his death satisfied the judgment of God the Father for you and me and for our sins. If we will accept Christ, if we will believe in him, we too can be forgiven of our sins and experience life ever after with God in heaven. This is why each of his relationships in some way reflects Jesus in this passage. This truth and reality meant everything to Paul, and it should. How can you and I make our friendships, my friendships, my relationships with other believers more centered in and upon Christ? Finally, in my third characteristic, I want to talk about sister. That's my Darth Vader reference, by the way. (laughs) Turn of the Jedi, in case you didn't know. Sisters and the women in Paul's life. At least 10 of the people mentioned in this list are women. Phoebe, Prisca, Mary, Junia, Tryphena, Tryphosa, Persis, the mother of Rufus, Julia, and the sister of Nereus. The Bible, while written in a time when women have many restrictions set upon them in government and in society, and often reflecting a male-dominated narrative, gives us glimpses into reality and what real everyday life was like. You and I know that if there were women around, they were not simply living in the shadows. They were engaged, they were giving, they were serving, they were teaching, they were sacrificing, they were defending. Women were often the cornerstone of what God was doing through Jesus Christ, through the early church, and advancing his kingdom during this first and every subsequent century since then. I wanted to spend this final point highlighting the importance of women in Paul's life and show how without them, his mission and ultimately God's mission would not advance. 
The Bible often reveals that women usually respond more quickly and wholeheartedly to God than men. Some examples of this are Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mary Magdalene, whose life was transformed radically by the presence and power of Jesus. Mary and Martha, sisters of Lazarus, who got to see Jesus raise him from the dead. Even Pilate's wife warned Pilate not to have anything to do with this man, Jesus, and he didn't listen to her, and look what happened. Then in the early church, as the church grows and expands, Tabitha, the legendary servant of the church from Acts chapter 9, Rhoda, the little servant girl who's the first one to see Peter miraculously freed from prison in Acts 12, and Lydia, the wealthy supporter of the early church and the first convert in Europe, once again to reinforce my point of who usually responds more easily and quickly to the activity of God in their life. And then in Rome, in this letter, Paul mentions first Phoebe in verses 1 and 2. Phoebe, who was a faithful servant and patron of his ministry. She's a wealthier woman who has given much to the gospel and to Paul specifically. Also, she is bringing his letter to the Romans, which is a big deal. Those who bring the letter have incredible prominence. And she's bringing the letter to Rome or traveling with the group that's bringing it. That means something very important for her and for understanding the culture and society of the day. Prisca and Aquila, or Priscilla, as she's referred to in Acts and in the book of Acts, this is a very important married couple in the early church. Paul listing her name first, which would not have been normal. It would have been husband, then wife. This highlights at some level the prominence, her prominence in their ministry role. Paul says that they risk their necks for him and are loved by all the Gentile churches. And then we have Mary in verse 6. Lovely Mary. Not Mary, the mother of Jesus. Not Mary Magdalene. The whole, a whole new Mary. But she gets her own verse, her own phrase, all by herself. And Paul says this, gives a singular reference. Mary is working hard for the church in Rome. What a great reference. How would you like to be referenced by Paul as somebody who's working hard for the church? Probably not doing it for that recognition, but just the, the joy of hearing your name in that, in that place. And then Junia. In verse 7, Junia is mentioned with her husband Andronicus. Paul calls her and them together fellow prisoners for the gospel, which implies they were jailed with him for the advancement of the gospel. A woman in jail with her husband because they are doing the work of God. Paul gets this. Paul knows this. Paul loves this. Paul appreciates this says that they are well known to the apostles who are the founders and leaders of the early church. Some current translations go even a step further and say that they are apostles themselves. It's just what Paul wrote to the people of Galatia when he said this in Galatians 3.28. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Subby Stersky, with Focus on the Family Canada, said it this way, and I was going to rephrase it, but I'll just quote her, because she said it wonderfully, says this. Clearly the idea wasn't that the gospel flattens humanity into a raceless, genderless, homogenous mass. Rather, it was to emphasize the colorful mosaic of the kingdom of God, made up as it is of men and women from every ethnic and social background. 
all with equal access and standing in Christ. These were real women of warmth and wit and intellect who played essential roles in the spread of the gospel that turned the world upside down. And it's interesting because it wasn't planned this way. I didn't set out. Julie has been mentioning for several weeks that an old ministry friend, partner of ours on Facebook had moved and had mentioned or whatever and said, hey, we should reach out to this person. Well, the person's name is Maureen. Maureen McWalters. She's the woman in red. And Maureen is actually the first person who gave me a leadership opportunity in ministry. For years, I had been striving and working and trying, and they, I was a very unpolished sort. I'm still praying for more polishing, but imagine me 21 years ago. I mean, I was rough. I had zeal, but I lacked wisdom. I lacked self-control. I lacked self-awareness, the ability to, to inspire and lead people. I could charge through a wall myself in some cases, but I didn't know how to help people get over that wall. And whereas I had sought other leadership opportunities through pastors and leaders, predominantly men, never been given an opportunity, we had this singles young adult ministry, and there was a leadership change, and there were some openings in leadership. And there was a team of us who had got together to, to see this thing successful, be successful. And, and I was wanting a leadership opportunity, but out of my hands. And while I wasn't given leadership of the ministry that was given to a, an older, a little bit more mature individual, Maureen did give to me and to our team of people the teaching responsibility for a group of two to 300 people that would gather every other week. And that's significant. And I stumbled, and I made mistakes, and I learned. But I did it by God's grace and with Maureen's prayers and support. I did it. It actually opened the door for me to serve in my first vocational ministry position in Grand Rapids and ultimately here. Without Maureen, without her faith, her willingness to take a risk on me when others wouldn't, I don't know that I would be here. So I'm incredibly grateful and thankful for the role that she played in my own life. And I want to encourage us in light of the women in Paul's life who are the women in your life? Who are the faithful women on the front lines or behind the scene who have helped you be where you are in your walk with the Lord today? Who without you would not be here, most likely? How can you encourage, affirm, thank, remind? In the first service when David and Kathy Muller were up here sharing, Kathy leads... Uh, ministry to our middle school and high school girls, she says, this world is brutal on girls. Well, you know what? It's brutal on women in general. And how encouraging could this be, this moment, this word, this bit of thanks, be to the women in your life who have served and labored for you, similar to the women in Paul's life. Rooftop, we truly serve amongst a company of heroes, even if we don't see it. And I hope this morning we have a better glimpse and understanding of what that's like and how God wants us to serve and to strive with this company of heroes that he has placed us in to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Father, we are truly thankful for the mosaic, as it's been called, that you are 
creating this beautiful piece of art that encompasses each and every one of us, male, female, rich, poor, old, young, urban, suburban, rural, whatever our background, into this greater work that is supposed to reveal the goodness and the glory of God to a lost world. Thank you for Rooftop. Thank you for what it sometimes might feel like the ragtag group of people you brought together because that's exactly who we are and exactly who you want to work with as you radiate the love of Jesus and your grace in and through us today, tomorrow, and in each day to come. Just pray. Pray that we'll be encouraged through this list, through this company of heroes that we ourselves get to be part of a company of heroes and see us the way that you see us, so that Paul saw the church in Rome and be inspired to follow more fervently after you as a result. We ask this in Jesus' name.